Well, I'm, I can't even speak properly. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome to Infection Control Matters. Uh, this week, Brett's in the UK, so I thought we'd have a chance to catch up. So I'm actually staring at each other face yeah. to face, which makes a nice change. It does, doesn't it, man? Yeah. Uh, uh, we haven't done one face to face for some time. Certainly haven't. So yeah. I thought we'd have a little chat about a recent paper of yours, actually, which is mm. about the burden of healthcare associated infections in Australia, because Phil Russo has just done one uh, looking at the New Zealand data, uh, which is quite interesting. So um, do you want to talk us through the burden of, in Australia paper? Yeah, thanks, Martin. Yeah, so because of the paper that came out in antimicrobial resistance and infection control uh, in recent months, it was actually led by Michael Littimore, and so he's a mathematical modeler uh, from, from Victoria. So he, he takes full credit for this, for this paper. And it was really based on the point prevalence study that Phil Russo led a couple of years ago, where point prevalence study was done in 19 Australian public hospitals. The idea of this paper, in the absence of having any national surveillance for HAIs, uh, was that um, we wanted to model the PPS data and try and work out the incidence of HIAs AIs in Australia as well as um, look at the disability adjusted life years and mortality. Um, so start trying to provide some kind of comparison uh, between that. So remind me of the PPS. Mm. That wasn't mandatory or you know you it was just a selected sample or did people self-select for that for that? Yeah we put an expression of interest out. So there's no there's in Australia there's no um, national point prevalence study that occurs on any frequent basis. And no one funds any PPS, so just um, fairly unusual, really, for a fairly well-developed country. Yes, we're one of the um, only OECD countries that doesn't do a PPS. Wow! And the last PPS was done something thirty odd years ago. Uh, so we actually had to get a philanthropic um, grant to put that study together, and that was um, uh, done in nineteen hospitals. But it was a Self-selection, so put an expression of interest out, and then based on that expression of interest, we, we did the maximum number of hospitals that we could possibly do with the budget that we had. Mm. And were they representative, do you think, of yeah. the uh, you know, healthcare provider organisations in Australia? Yeah, so we, just, we, we made them representative of one of the section uh, inclusion criteria was, was being a, a sort of category A hospital in Australia, essentially a large, a large public hospital. Uh -huh. So that's what we're trying to capture. And we had hospitals from right across the country, apart from the Northern Territory. So um, it was a good representative sample okay. uh, from the country. So we used, uh, used data from that, and there's a, a package that's been used by Cassini who had a, a, a paper, I was trying to think how long ago that one, I think it was in PLOS 1, where they looked at trying to model them from the ECDC point prevalence study, mm -hmm. the incidence of HIAs. So there's actually a, a package out there that, um, that Michael used to translate that PPS data into incidence-based data. Yeah, prevalence to incidence. Prevalence Difficult. to incidence. It's tricky. Yeah. it's tricky. It's tricky when you don't have uh, necessarily things like date of onset of infection um, mm. uh, and, and you don't always have admission date data. But you do have good data, and so we use data from existing data sets in Australia, like you know, what's the mean length of stay for hospitalised patients in Australia. Yeah. And we also know, you know what those lengths of stay are for certain types of infections are. In Australia. So those are the types of things that inform the modelling work that went into this particular paper. What we found in this paper was, well, it's probably not surprising, you know, because every time you get a PPS, what, the top ones are always you know, pneumonia, yeah. uh, UTIs, yeah. SSIs. Yeah. 
in terms of point prevalence anyway. But, but you know, what we we're interested in is a number of cases of HAOs. And, and bearing in mind, again, because Australia doesn't have any coordinated national surveillance apart from Staphylococcus bacteremia, we don't know the real burden. There's been some estimates. We've done some estimates in previous work saying we thought it was about 165,000 and we sort of did some work on that to try and come to that figure. Um, yeah, from, Michael, from this paper, Michael's suggesting you know, 170,000, so we weren't far off from the original, from the original estimates. Um, but the vast majority of those uh, are UTIs and, and pneumonia and SSIs. So there's about 50-odd thousand cases of healthcare-associated pneumonia and uh, 40, 42, 44,000 of, of SSI and, and UTIs. So still making up the large proportion and bloodstream infections about 23,000, so not as many of those. So that was, you know, great to be able to actually put some kind of number to how many um, infections are occurring in, in, in hospitals, public hospitals in Australia. I mean, incidence is difficult, mm. though, for something like an SSI, isn't it? Because prevalence mm. is just who you picked up in that hospital on that day, mm. but many people will develop their SSI after they've gone home. Yeah, and, and so to develop a true incidence from SSI, that's that's a tricky. Aspect yeah, of it. it is, and you, and look, even point prevalence because you're probably going to underestimate the incidence. Yeah. quite considerably because your point prevalence, thinking. yeah, your point prevalence isn't going to pick up those that clearly aren't in hospital. No, so um, so it's probably going to so be it's a, like big a minimum, under, really, isn't it's it? It's going to be the minimum. Yeah, so it's yeah. probably going to be quite a conservative amount. So one of the other things that um, tried to work out then were the number of deaths. Uh, disability-adjusted life years and life years lost from those main types of infections. Um, and that's like, this is where I think it gets interesting, and it's similar to the Cassini paper from a couple of years ago in, in many respects. But in terms of deaths, you know, the number one deaths in terms of numbers was, was um, bloodstream infections. Mm -hmm. So despite, of course, the fact they're not as common, uh, yeah. the, the, the number of deaths are going to be high. So that was about 3,500. Pneumonia came in at number two at 1,900 deaths. Mm -hmm. um, interestingly, SSI and UTIs, 700, 800 each. Okay. Um, it's fascinating because actually a lot of work goes into SSI prevention. Yeah. Uh, nowhere near as much as into UTI. Virtually nothing into UTI. Mm. I mean, there's a paper I picked up over the last couple of days that maybe we'll talk about when we meet up in Cardiff in a couple of weeks. But, uh, but you're right. You know, but, and is that because... Surgical site infection is well. Preventing surgical site infection is more technical, mm. and therefore attracts the interests of medics more than preventing urinary tract infection, which generally could be thought to be this is a nursing job to try mm. and prevent urinary tract infection because a lot of the interventions to prevent the corti or a mm. urinary tract infection are more likely to be aimed at care aspects, aren't they? Rather yeah. than the more technical aspects like you know warming or yeah, uh, you know, antibiotic prophylaxis, or you know th th those sort of aspects. That's right. I also think it's more attractive to do that type of research. Um, yeah, I suppose it's, it's easy to control it, isn't it? Much easier to control. Yeah. You know, because you can do an RCT on an individual. Yeah, um, looking at different like surgical prep or, or antibiotic <laughs> prophylaxis or whatever it might be, um, and so you're probably going to look be able to identify things like risk factors a bit more and and um, ways to prevent these types of infections, as in SSIs more than than UTIs, which are a bit more problematic. You know, one in four people going to hospital are going to get a, a catheter, yeah. a urinary catheter. Yeah. Uh, it's a lot of catheters, but it's also a heck of a lot of people are trying to follow up in any kind of meaningful surveillance way. Yeah. So, uh, so it's, a, it's a trick. It's a really hard one, mm. that one. The other interesting thing from this paper was the disability 
adjusted life years. So this was the life years lost and life years with disability as a combined surrogate. And um, this is interesting. So bloodstream infections, 46,000 uh, disability adjusted life years. Now this is per the annual burden and HAP was 39,000. So it mm. wasn't actually far behind. No. Uh, so, and, and I think it's probably because it's, it's, those, it's those two metrics coming together of frequency and I guess mor morbidity and mortality. Mm -hmm. I mean, do you get that many life years lost with HAP? Because with respect to the people who get HAP, they tend to be towards the end of life where you maybe you haven't got that many life years left yet anyway, whereas some of the other infections may, you may have occurred earlier in life, so you, you may actually have prevented, mm. well, you know, kept more life years available if you managed to not have the infection. Is that yeah. an aspect? I yeah, I think it is. No, so if I put that right. No, 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 I know what you're saying there, man. Yeah, so the life years lost as a proportion to the DALIs, the disability list of adjusted life years, was lower in mm. HAP than it was for BSIs. Yeah. Or we'll look at it the other way. The life years lost was, was higher with bloodstream infections. So, yeah, I mean, that kind of makes sense, I guess. Mm -hmm. Probably a bit more of a burden in terms of death as a proportion. And after surgical site infection, because actually with some surgical infections, you can be pretty you know, yeah. debilitated afterwards. You know, if something goes wrong with your joint replacement, then that's really going to impact on quality of life and mobility, and unless you really get the revision right. And many cases that doesn't always happen. Yeah, Is that significant? Well, in, in this case of SSIs, the, the vast majority of life is uh, lost um, as a proportion of that DALI. But I reckon that's probably going back to the point earlier where they would have been in hospital yeah. and got a surgical site infection, a complication. Yeah. These are the or, most significant ones. Then, yeah, yeah, that's right. And mm. in life years with disability, they're the ones that probably already missed because mm. they're the ones that are going to happen back in the, when they're back in the community mm -hmm. and perhaps go on and, and continue to suffer uh, some of the effects of those infections in the community. And they wouldn't have been captured in this data set because mm. the original data set being from the point prevalence study in hospitals. So that might explain um, that that sort of skew in the in the in the SSI. Interesting with the DALIs, the UTIs was was higher than uh, with an SSIs. So um, again, you know the old UTIs, the old forgotten one. But I reckon what this is really telling me is, you know, bloodstream infections. Um, we're doing a fair bit. We're trying to do a fair bit to prevent yeah. in terms of initiatives. Yeah, um, SSIs. I haven't got anywhere near the same burden as, as bloodstream infections from these data, at least. Mm -hmm. And I know we're near in the ballpark with HAP either, uh, but we're doing a fair bit in SSI space. Um, UTIs that we already talked about, and but HAP, you know, it's up there with, yep. uh, with bloodstream infections yep. that we're, we're doing not much on. So, so uh, I'm, I'm the Australian health minister. Yeah. And I'm thinking, okay, we need to do something here. And I'm going to give you, Professor Mitchell, $10 million to spend on <laughs> an intervention or yeah. a, a target area, which which I'm not talking about the intervention itself, but yeah. which, what, where would you spend the money where it's going to be the biggest bang for the for that sort of investment, do you think, in, in improving quality of life and reducing mortality? Well, I reckon it would be two things. I reckon the vast majority of that would go into HAP prevention. Mm -hmm. uh, I reckon we're going to get big bang for your buck in terms of that, given, given its frequency, uh, given its effect in terms of um, disability-adjusted life years. I think, um, so I look at some interventional-based um, clinical trials around HAP. 
that focus on prevention. Because the intervention, actually, <laughs> we, we can't could know. be pretty cheap. It could be you pretty know, cheap. It could be motivating staff to get patients walking or people walking again and actually cleaning their teeth. That's right. Not good so old oral hygiene. Not hugely expensive, really. No, but we need the evidence. We need the good evidence. Yeah. And, you know, we're seeing, starting to see that. You had a great chat with Diane um, uh, Baker. Yeah. Uh, in a previous podcast, for those who are interested in that. And so there is this, there's some great emerging work and some been work that's been going for many years as well. Yeah. Um, but what we need is the, the high quality clinical trials in this space, more of those, uh, in hat prevention. So I think that'd be a good way, good spending of, uh, research money. I think the other would be to try and use that money, perhaps not for research, but go, let's set up some kind of really good automated process. And accept what it is, but it's not going to be 100% sensitivity and specificity. But mm -hmm. let's have some really good process where we can get some good data on UTIs. Um, because once you've got good data on UTIs, then you can start to look at some of those other interventions, which probably aren't going to be that expensive to run in terms of trials. Yeah. I mean, it's um, interesting, isn't it? Because we only ever look at these when we do a PPS. Mm. So, which is very periodic. We don't do routine surveillance on the most common healthcare-associated infections. So yeah. what do you think of the future then? I mean, do you think the potential is there for automated surveillance to help us out here and give us where to look, you know, to get some... Because they're clearly not going to be that perfect. Mm. You know, there may be queries with how sensitive the, the algorithms are and how specific they are, but at the moment we don't have anything. And at least if it was consistent, then you could see a trend or an impact. You know, do you, do you think there is a future in that? Because I've seen quite a few... Yeah papers that suggest doing it for surgical wound infection, they are reasonable. So what yeah. potential for happen? I think it has to be. I mean, there's, there's uh, an interesting paper John Ferguson did probably a year or two ago in Hunter, New England in Australia. Um, and that was published in Infection, Disease and Health. And he looked at the administrative data sets for pneumonia um, and how accurate they were. And actually, they weren't too bad. Hmm. Um, now, I've done some work previously, and, and, and others have, about UTIs and administrative data sets. I know you're talking about electronic stuff, but just, yeah, yeah. just administrative for a moment. Yeah. Um, and it was pretty rotten. So <laughs> I think... Um, Why was it rotten? Oh, Technical term for, yeah, rotten, for listeners. Yeah, it was rotten. Wrong. Yeah. It, it, it really didn't... It was very non-specific and, non, and, okay. and, and not sensitive. And so we wasn't identifying the ones that were true infections. And that's because we aren't collecting the data? Or we don't... You know, the, the lab work isn't there or, the, you know, people aren't making... I mean, I, I know fluid balance charts can be often a work of fiction you might want to take on holiday. Yeah. And, and TPR <laughs> charts aren't, aren't much better. Yeah. So, you know, how can we get better at producing better data, do you think, to yeah. feed into these systems so we get something better at? Because, yeah. you know, as I've heard you say on many occasions, garbage in, garbage out. That's right. I, I think there has been work done in that space too in the UTI system. So part of it was what's the definition of a UTI with respect to coding? And, and so this is people who post-discharge from hospital look through medical notes and, and make you know, relevant codes based on the, the, the procedures and, and uh, infections and outcomes that people have had. The problem is the coders are only as good as the notes. That's exactly they're also right. some of the poorest paid people who are working in a cupboard where they've, you know, they're brought out of the, uh, into daylight about once a month <laughs> and then put back in the cupboard. And yeah. it's not a valued role. I don't no, think people get no. why the coders are there, but actually oh, they can help everybody if we can. help them. That's right. And look, that's where a lot of funding comes from. Of course, you know, if you don't, don't do something, you don't get paid for it quite often. Yeah. But um, so I think it's a combination from that point of view of what was written in the notes, coupled with what the coders had to use as part of their definitions to, to tick their box for a UTI. Yeah. So, you know, there's that, that bit of work. Perhaps HAP, you know, in, uh, it was a bit more clear cut in the sense that um, 
just thinking about why why that work from John Ferguson was suggesting that it was a bit bit better for administrative data. Mm. It could be that either of those things that physicians are more likely to write respiratory tract infection in the notes, they're more likely perhaps have X-rays or antimicrobial therapy started with yeah, uh, yeah. with that indication. Um, you know, part of a, a solid assessment is always uh, listening to the chest. So, you know, part of that could be that 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 was written, and also that the coders' requirements were therefore met to tick that box to say that was a. Mm. Uh, uh, so, I think that's that's one possibility is to try and look at that, um, and then and then algorithms and electronic surveillance. There must be a way. We must be able to find a way where we can link up um, the lab data. I know not everything's going to have a. a test but think up lab data with some of those patient administrative data sets and clinical data sets where we're going to have temperatures taken and we're going to have um, various other things to link those up to mm. to i think it's definitely going to happen yeah um, we're not going to get and, and people get very fixated you know surveillance is not meant to be perfect no absolutely um, not i mean you you look at the level of agreement in even in pps yeah it's not you know if you're doing it with someone else often there's a bit of a discussion going on so you're right. Even even when you've got really good definitions, beauty is in the eye of the oh, beholder. Well, people don't always agree. So yeah, yeah, and and people do get really caught up on on definitions, and I understand it. I mean, I was I I've been there, um, but ultimately, if everyone's using the same definition mm. over time. That's really what you, you yeah key you're looking at yeah as long as you're staying consistent to your what you are doing yeah you know I, I got involved years ago in the discussion with my intensivists who having had some success with central line associated bloodstream infections went on to look at wanted to look at VAP and I'm going well are you sure about this because definitions and surveillance definitions aren't the same as a clinical definition and you know really you're better just going with what you are going to define as as a VAP yeah. And just stick absolutely with that, which could be treatment for, you know, if you think it's you're going to treat for it, then that's probably good enough because yeah. actually what you're trying to reduce is the burden of antibiotics you're having to give for infections you think you've given people. And they, yeah. that's what they decided to go with rather than stick to a rigidly, you, unless you had this x-ray or yeah, you had that test, it isn't. And, yeah. uh, and that, that then something can fall down because you haven't got all the components that fit the surveillance definition. Whereas if you've written up an antibiotic for an infection, then you think it is. So therefore, that's what yeah. I think you should potentially yeah. go with from a clinical aspect, anyway. Yeah, that's right. And there's always the the, um, the it's, there's an offset, isn't there? When you're trying to come up with a surveillance definition, you're going to something that's going to be also acceptable for clinicians. Yeah. Um, and and I, actually, that's why I think the states have moved away from VAP. To ventilator-associated yeah. events, because actually it gives them, you know, some, some less arguable and less debatable uh, definitions that they can go off to say, well, actually, okay, it might not meet the traditional criteria for a ventilator-associated pneumonia, but it certainly is a ventilator-associated event, which you know we want to look at anyway and see if we can prevent. And I, I think I thought that was quite a neat way of going about it, really, to to break down some of the you know, us versus them, because there was certainly a a lot of discussion that where uh, yeah. you know, ID physicians were saying that's an infection and the intensivists are saying we don't think it is. And uh, so you, you, you make it less subjective. I think that's yeah, that's going to make things better. I, I, I totally agree with you on that one. You know, interestingly, the, the paper we're also talking about, you know, the numbers of these cases per 100,000 population to try and standardise where's Australia sit relative to other countries. It wasn't too far off places like Germany, but a bit higher than Europe. And but I guess that that's 
probably because the PPS results initially, the, the point prevalence study in the 19 hospitals was higher. Yeah. It was 9 or 10%. Well, that's where, your first one, wasn't it? Whereas yeah. places like the UK have been doing it regularly since the 80s and, and other yep. countries will have been doing that. So they, they, they've maybe been looking at it a little bit longer. Yep, looking at it so, longer. I think, so I think there's a few reasons. Looking at it longer and the, and the populations were different. So mm -hmm. you know, the Australian group was large public hospitals. Mm -hmm. And the European groups include a whole range of small. Um, yeah, okay. Uh, small I mean, hospitals. in the UK, they were mostly large public hospitals, but yeah, mm. certainly in Europe, that wouldn't be mm. the case. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, with the Australian PPS, you had, a, had an interesting way to look at from a data collection point of view. So they had the same data collectors mm. go in to the 19 That's hospitals. That's why they shipped them around, didn't they? Shipped yeah. them around. Yeah. Pretty big travel bill. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it meant, though, that you were comparing apples with apples, yeah. not just in terms of the definitional approach, because that was you know, clearly that, but how that was applied, interactive reliability across the different sites, if yeah. you like, um, was, was much more consistent. So you're going to have people who will have their own agenda about whether they want to, you know, something's borderline, so to speak. It shouldn't be borderline, it should be a definition. But, yeah. um, <laughs> but you know, those, those, those sort of ones. Um, you know, you might want that extra infection to, to help your cause if you need to make a case. So you may not want that infection. <laughs> um, now I'm not saying people fiddle the books. No. But, um, uh, but you know, it, just, it does help, I think, with credibility when it's done um, externally. Um, yeah. The other interesting thing, you know, just, just thinking about the, for Australian, particularly for Australian audience, I guess, um, is that, you know, the, the rate of disability-adjusted life years Per hundred thousand population was a, is a really big um, contributor to the overall burden of disease in Australia. So you know, there are an estimated um, number of motor vehicle accidents that contribute one hundred and eighty dallies a year, and and this is per hundred thousand population, and infectious disease three hundred and seventy dallies uh -huh. a year. And, it's nearly, nearly twice. And, and that's right. And 498 for healthcare associated infections. So, you know, it's, it's a huge disease burden that's probably under recognized. That or Australians have fantastic drivers or are incredibly safe. Well, that, that, you know, that's not true. I do know that's not true. <laughs> You've driven on Australia. I've driven on Australia. <laughs> but look, it's not in the same magnitude, of course, of things no. like, you know, cancer and, and various other things. No. But, um, uh, but, you know, it's just an interesting thing that we sort of forget that these things do have a massive impact and comparatively uh, mm. to other things, they're, they're really big impacts. Yep. So I think there's an opportunity for, for a lot more work, a lot more funding, a lot more support for infection control professionals and hospitals, yep. infection control teams, the infrastructure that's required. Um, and this, the these types of papers are really important, I hope. I mean, will uh, they help, help you develop a national centre for disease control, or you know, and, and have proper national PPS done periodically? Do you think yeah. they, these will help? Well, because the new government, federal government in Australia, and one mm. of the things that they made as an election commitment was to have an ACDC. Uh, I don't okay. know if they're going to call it ACDC, Australian Centre for Disease Control, <laughs> but um, some kind of um, centre for disease control. Now, there's different schools of thought on this, and and people are coming at it from very two different angles. Some have come at it from COVID and we need it because of COVID and public health. And I, my view on that's very different to that of healthcare associated infections. Yeah. 
um, where I th- I've always said I think we needed a national, not necessarily called whatever it's called, but mm. we needed some kind of central coordinating body uh, to 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 collate these types of infection data, standardise the de- definitions and approaches across the country, um, which primarily the responsibility lies with states at. And so uh, we have big variation in everything. So I, that's where I've always said there's a need. I, and the other ones I think is a debate for others to have. But in terms of infection prevention and control, I really would like to see um, something around a centre or disease control or whatever, whatever it's called. But something that's Yeah, like ACDC that. is a great name. I'm, I'm happy <laughs> people queue up and say, oh, yeah, I work for ACDC. Uh, AC, yeah. AC. <laughs> <laughs> that will be good. Uh, I mean, th- I guess the, the other... Um, the other few caveats I would say with the oh so actually before I get the caveats the other important thing about this paper and and, and not just this paper but papers like it so for those listeners out there who are thinking about doing point prevalence studies and publishing them they're really important right yeah and, and same as incident style or any incidents um, uh, papers are even even more important yeah but um, we need this these type of data because it's through these types of comparisons that we can advocate for resources for um, the infection control teams in hospitals and aged care settings um, that we could advocate for infrastructure to go in to support things like improved surveillance, improved technology mm-hmm. to help identify these things um, and, and improved integration with labs, including, you know, what will be the future with genomics and linking that with infection control. You know, so these types of, these types of, um, papers and, and, and work that people do are really important for that because it enables these comparisons to be made, enables to put them into more meaningful perspective for funders and, and government to go, oh, okay, I can see why this is important now. Yeah. I can see the numbers. Get it. Yeah. I understand the numbers a bit more. Yeah. Um, these are real people. <laughs> uh, and, and I can put it into context to other priorities that they have to try and manage too. Yeah. Um, and I'm not always saying this is going to be their number one priority. Clearly not. But it, it, it'll be up there once we... Yeah. Uh, when well, we starting to recognise you might have an issue. When people say you've got an issue, you don't always believe it. But in, yeah. what's the expression? In God we trust, all others must bring data. Data. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but look, there are lots of caveats um, with this study, as there are with, with any as well. And um, so, you know, we didn't... We had to use some existing data sets for, to, to base some of the things on, like, like length of stay in, in hospital and timing of infection. Um, and in the P- original PPS, there was no McCabe score collected, so no risk adjustment at the patient level. Okay. But what what what, um, what Michael did do was apply the distribution of the McCabe score from all of the e- the ECDC PPS and apply that to the Australian data set. So th- there was some adjustment for that, um, but it was but it was using data from Europe, not data from Australia, because we just couldn't collect. Um, that is part of the original PPS because it would have taken too much, too much time. It would have meant less hospitals contributing yeah. uh, to that originally. Okay. So you're like a, it's not perfect, a, but it's told a story, hasn't it? It's told a story, and I think, and and I'm really grateful for Michael's expertise in this. Mm-hmm. Um, and look, Andrew Stewartson, another one of the uh, lead authors on this as well. Yeah. Um, you know, it's really really important that this story got told. And you know, I know the PPS was a couple of years ago. And it, uh, well, was it three years ago now in Australia? It's taken a while for this paper to come out. Yeah. 
And part of that's because a lot of people involved in this writing this paper have been caught up with COVID um, yes. uh, for the last couple of years. <laughs> I know. You know, we started this paper. It's hard to get to a podcast without mentioning that word. That <laughs> it is, isn't it? Failed. <laughs> um, but we persevered because we thought it was uh, important. Yeah. Um, so full credit to, to Michael, Andrew, and, and, yeah. and Phil and, uh, and others on there too for this paper. Just a matter of interest. I mean, the, the fact your PPS originally showed you had higher rates than many other what you might mm. call comparable countries. I mean, is, has there been any, okay, we need to do something about this type of action or did COVID sort of get in the way of that, one, of that yeah. one as well? I think COVID probably got in the way, stopped that momentum a little bit. Okay, so maybe but this paper might help bump it, it back help out into perceptions again. again. Yeah. The timing could be good. Yeah. And and look, it helps everybody, whether you're justifying your case in your hospital Yeah. Um, or, you know, at, at a state level if you're running those types of things. Yeah. Where you're going for research funding, or whatever yeah. it might be, these types of things are difficult to justify an intervention unless you show you, you show, need to do it. That's really. right. Yeah. So hopefully that'll help that. And it's hard to understand and unpack the impact of that yeah. down the track because something like that you'll never see. But yeah. um, I, I think it's shown us shine a bit of a spotlight because the last time this was done, uh, we did through a systematic review of the literature, and we um, we looked at trying to extrapolate from incidents data published in peer-reviewed literature to what the infection rates might be in Australia. Mm -hmm. That's where we came up with the 165,000 um, figure before using a peer-reviewed literature approach. So we weren't too far off. And then prior to that, um, you know, I think Nick Graves did some modelling work, yep. um, which was probably now 20-odd years ago, 15 years ago. <laughs> and, uh, and and he came up with 200,000, I think it was, 200,000 uh, a year. So, you know, three different pieces of work, different points in time, but they're all coming up with relatively consistent figure. Yeah. Um, so I think we can be as reasonably confident telling a story, that this is telling yeah. a similar story. Yeah. yeah. Any chance of you being able to do another PPS, do you think? Uh, we'd love to. Yeah. We'd love to. I think we've got no chance of getting funding for that at the moment. I think okay. The best chance of, of doing that will still be probably through a philanthropic route or some kind okay. of uh, government. How much um, does it cost as a matter of interest? Um, this was, it was done pretty cheaply. This one, it mm. was a, off the top of my head, it was a couple of hundred thousand dollars. That's not bad because um, most of it would have gone on travel. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. That's not, that's um, not, that's I think that was about the ballpark, two or three hundred anyway. Okay. Um, so you know, it's a, it's not an, it's not a huge amount. And if if this was done in a national way, um, it's not a huge cost to absorb. No, because um, this didn't actually cost the hospitals because we went around and that's and right. You, you did, did a lot for them, didn't you? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, this, this is, again, you sort of get your bang for your buck if you're going to do it nationally. Yep. You could probably get a PPS done in your hospital every year or two. Yeah. You've got local data to make those changes and address your own priorities, uh, as well as, you know, whatever national priorities or state priorities there might be. But the chance to look at your own data and go, um, yeah. I mean, I, did you actually get a lot of variation between hospitals then? We did. Okay. <clears throat> we did, actually. That's interesting. Yeah, there was there were some hospitals that had much higher point prevalence and some that were... Quite a bit lower. I mean, did they feel they were just unlucky on that day or would they, did they recognise, hmm, actually, we might have an issue here? Yeah, I think it's, it was a perhaps a wake-up call for a couple, okay. uh, probably positively and negatively. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I, um, uh, and, and so I think, you know, that, that and it, it helps those people in their own hospital who might have been knocking up against the brick wall with the management yeah. about... You well, know, you're never investing. an expert in your own home, are you? No, you're not. I mean, you get someone else coming in and say, oh, by the way, Absolutely. your rate's 50% above the average. Yeah. Um, and it was done independently, it's pretty helpful. Yeah. I mean, I'm an orthopedic nurse, but if any of my kids sprained their ankle, my wife did not believe that I'd, it was a sprain. I still ended up in the accident department getting an x-ray. 
<laughs> so you're never an expert in your own home. That's right. Anyway, yeah. thanks very much. Nice, great, nice to uh, see you. It is great to see you too, Martin. And have a proper chat. And, uh, and we'll, we'll do it again in a couple of weeks when we'll we get meet in Cardiff. Yeah. yeah, sounds good. Okay. Cheers, Martin. Um, thanks for everybody for listening in. We'll catch you on the next episode. Bye for now.